Right, so we are in Acts chapter 7 tonight, and before we get into verse 1, we have to look at verse 13 to remind ourselves of what it's talking about, but it says, and uh, set up false witnesses which said, this man, talking about Stephen, ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. That was a lie. He was not blaspheming. He, what Stephen was saying was actually according to the law, and he's going to show them that in this sermon that he preaches. And it, they said, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. That was basically true, but those were not blasphemous words. Those were not against the law of God. They were wrong about that. And all it said in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Chapter uh, 7, verse 1, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? So understand, Stephen is on trial right now. His life is in danger. And one thing I love about listening to him, his sermon here, we're going to see he was not regarding his life one bit because he did not do anything at all to try to calm these people down. All he did was spoke unfiltered truth to these people. And you know what? It got him killed. If he had just lightened up, they might have went easy on him. But you know what? The truth was ugly. And they needed to hear it, and he did the right thing. And I believe God was very pleased with him. And we're going to see at his death, Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And there's a lot of speculation as to what that means. And I've had my opinions of never strong ones. But I, I, I do want to say, after studying this chapter... I have a much stronger opinion on what that meant. And I am going to share, again, my thoughts, my opinion on that. But honestly, folks, I'm really excited about some things I learned just this week when studying for this. So I, I've been, uh, since Monday, I've just been itching to preach this chapter. So uh, hang on. I, I, I think, it's, I, you know, you guys not, might not enjoy it, but I'm going to enjoy preaching it. We'll see. What, but anyway. So this question, are these things so, it is, it's in reference to those accusations that were made against him. And so we're not going to go through the whole chapter. It's a long chapter, but hopefully you were paying attention as Brother Austin read through it. But basically what he's doing in this chapter is he's giving them their history, starting from Abraham, because that's where Israel's history starts with God's call on Abraham and God promising that through his seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And so God pr protected, God preserved Israel, not because they were special, but because the seed was very special. And that seed that was going to come from Abraham, all the nations in the earth were going to be blessed by him. And so he starts with the history of Abraham in verse 2. He reminds them of the covenant of the circumcision that God had given them. He goes on to talk about the 12 patriarchs and he gives a brief uh, description of how they ended up in Egypt. And then he goes on in verse 20 to talk about Moses. But then I want us to start paying attention to what he said about Moses in verse 23. This is, this is really big. All right, folks, this is um, a lot of the people in the dispensational world. They love typology and finding types of things in the Bible and use. And a lot of times they use that to kind of form their doctrine. Now, there are types in the Bible, and it's okay to use that, but you've got to be careful letting that shape your doctrine. You've got to let clear Scripture shape your doctrine. And if you have clear Scripture on something, and then you want to use some kind of typology or symbols, and that's fine. You, you can do that. You're not wrong in doing that. 
But you know, when you can really go crazy with the typology is when the Bible does it. Now, if the Bible says this is an allegory, like the Ishmael and Isaac uh, allegory that we see in Galatians chapter 4, then by all means, run with it. Do exactly what Paul did with the allegory of Ishmael and Isaac. Now, just recently, I've been talking with a, a pastor. We've been having some friendly private conversations. We're planning on having some friendly public conversations about just our you know, different ways of thinking when it comes to dispensationalism and Israel and all that kind of stuff. And um, he, he threw something at me that I never had thrown at me before. Uh, and, I, you know, and it was one of those things where obviously it didn't debunk anything, but it was just something I hadn't really thought about where he used kind of an allegory with Moses to prove that God's not done with Israel. And, you know, it's like, well, you know, I told him, so, you know, that's, it. that's interesting. Uh, that makes sense. But uh, I said, you know, you can't really prove something through that. You know, you know, you got to have clear scripture, but you know, I see what you're doing. Uh, that's, that's fine. Well, I didn't know this. That allegory is in Acts chapter seven. He uses an allegory with Moses that sure enough, and we're going to see it. There was something that was prophetic there. But as I got to looking at it, this allegory proves what we believe. And I was just like, wow, this is. This is fantastic. All right. So, uh, you know, and, and the thing is, I don't think I would have noticed it had he not told me. That's why, it's, you know, we need to learn to talk to people sometimes. You ought to be able, you know, obviously you don't want to, you know, you got to be careful if you're weak in the faith. You don't want people confusing you. But I don't mind being challenged in this stuff because I'm so sure we're right. And every time somebody throws something at me that I'm not prepared for, when I go study it, it always strengthens my belief. And this really strengthened my belief, took, took it to another level here. So look at verse 23. It says, And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Talking about Moses. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou, killed, didst, uh, as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses fled at the saying, and was a stranger in the land of Madian, where he begat two sons. Okay, and so... Uh, that's, we all familiar with that story that we see in Exodus where Moses, it was like he knew he was going to be a deliverer. And so he did just in his own time. He went and was like, all right, I'm going to start judging. He went and saved one of his brethren. He killed an Egyptian. But then the next day when he went and he decided, all right, there's a fight going on between, you know, two Hebrews. I'm going to go be a judge. I'm going to straighten out. They rejected him. Now, this is what this pastor told me. He said, that story right there, that was an example. That was a picture of Jesus Christ being rejected by Israel. But then Moses, he goes into the wilderness and 40 years later, he comes back as their deliverer. And so Jesus Christ, he came, Israel rejected him. But one day he's coming back and he's going to deliver them. Now, I mean, that picture kind of makes sense. And it's like, you know, 
Now, so the thing is, if I knew for sure that that was a picture God's trying to do in the Bible, then it's like, man, that's, you know, what are we going to do with that? And then when I, as I was going through here, I saw it and I was like, sure enough, he's right. That is a picture of Israel rejecting Jesus and then him coming back later as the deliverer. You know what? He was right. Okay? He's totally right about that. But let's go ahead and keep reading. All right? Some of y'all are getting nervous. It's like, Pastor Tommy, are we going to get a star rem fan in our church now? Are you going to start wearing the lapel pin? Uh, you know, <laughs> is, that, is that where you're going with this? Well, so let's keep going. So Stephen, he goes on in the story to God calling on Moses at the burning bush to go back to Egypt to deliver his people. And so... Right here is a key moment in Stephen's sermon where he's trying to make a point to Israel. So look what it says in verse 35. It says, This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? Okay, And that was back when he killed the Egyptian. The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared unto him in a bush. So notice how Stephen points out the same Moses that they rejected, he came back later as a deliverer. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I was like, how have I never seen this before? I mean, you know, you know, I've, I've never noticed. Sure enough, that's a picture. So it's like, is God not done with Israel? So basically what it's done, he's, he's given a, an abbreviated version of Genesis and Exodus, but now he's pulling an application from the story and preaching much like a lot of the preaching we do from the Old Testament. You know, we do that all the time where we go to the Old Testament. You know, we tell the story, but then we kind of make a life application. I mean, how many David and Goliath stories have you heard? You know, we've heard that and that's fine to do that. But he's doing something like that here. But a little more, you know, he's kind of doing something, you know, prophet, you know getting something prophetic from it too. And he is comparing, he's basically charging Israel with just like Israel rejected Moses and he went away and came back. You rejected Jesus. And like Moses, he's going to come back and deliver you. So, uh, that, sure enough, that's there. But, uh, so the question is, though, so for sure, this is an allegory of, of Jesus being rejected by Israel and returning later to deliver them. So the big question, though, is, is this yet to happen or did it already happen? It's a very important thing. That's one thing where dispensationals get a lot of stuff wrong. They're always putting things in the future that are in the past. That's, that happens a lot. So look at verse 36. It says, He brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, uh, him shall ye hear. And he just brought up one of the most key phrases in the Old Testament that is so rarely preached today. And maybe it's because too many Baptists are all caught up in Zionism and getting commentaries from Jews and things like that. You know what? The Jews missed this verse too. And Peter brought it up in his sermon to Israel. Stephen brought it up uh, in his sermon that he's preaching to Israel showing that we are not violating Moses. Moses told us when the prophet like him came that we were supposed to listen to him. That's what, Mo, that's what the law of Moses commanded. So guess what? Stephen didn't preach blasphemous words. And yes, 
some customs were going to change that Moses gave them, but Moses also gave them this. Moses told them they were supposed to listen to that prophet. And so he's doing this because the accusations against them were basically true, but what also is true is that he was the one that was actually obedient to the law, and they were the guilty ones. And they were in danger of judgment from God because of their violation of the law of God. They're putting him on trial for you know, violating the law of God, and he basically calls them out for violating the law of God. You know, the famous, you know, yo, you're out of order type thing. I don't even know what movie is that from, but you hear it repeated all the time. That's kind of what he, he did on them. Verse 38. Now watch this. This is he, this, boy, dispensationalist. They don't like this verse. Because he uses the term church here, which wasn't supposed to start until, you know, Pentecost. But, it's, but look at this. This is, this is why if you're from the dispensational world, you're going to miss some of this stuff. Dispensationalism does more to hold up people's progress and learning the scripture, I think, than anything else in the world. Verse 38, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness, talking about Jesus, with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. He, so he's just told them that Jesus was the God of the Old Testament. He basically just declared Jesus as Jehovah right here because you know whenever israel they talked about god and whenever they would talk about the lord or jehovah from the old testament jesus is or uh stephen has just told them that was jesus that was him that was with the church in the wilderness and notice what he said in verse 39 to whom our fathers would not obey watch this but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again to egypt right here Crystal clear, black and white. You know when Israel refused Jesus like they refused Moses the first time? It was in the wilderness when they made the golden calf. It wasn't at Calvary. It wasn't at, the, uh, at Christ's first coming, as we call it. That's not when Israel rejected him the first time. Stephen called them out for rejecting him in the wilderness. That's not me. Stephen's the one who came up with the allegory. Stephen is the one who said, you know, who pulled this from the scriptures and said, just like Moses was rejected the first time and came back later as a deliverer, you all rejected Jesus. And later he came back as a deliverer. And folks, the first rejection was not in the first century. The first rejection was back in the wilderness when they made the golden calf. So it says to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them and in their hearts Turn back again to Egypt. That's exactly what he said they did with Moses. They thrust him from them. They did the same thing to Jesus. Saying unto Aaron, this is how they did it. Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the work of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, ye have offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness. Notice how it says God gave them up. God gave them up to something. He gave them up to idolatry and all these things. He said, Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God Remphan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So folks, guess what? We're not getting the star of Remphan in here. 
It's not happening. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus uh, into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him in a house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. And what house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is my place of rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? So notice, he's just kind of, he's now going more into their history. Dwelleth not in temples made with hands. So he's just kind of going through history. He's explaining. Notice too, this is a reminder and proof that we all have free will. Because notice how God said the reason God didn't care about a temple made with hands is because everything that was in that temple was stuff God made. I mean, folks, what, what things, what stuff, what material can you bring and offer to God if it's all his anyway? So, but what is he looking for? You know what he wanted? He wants to dwell inside of us. He wants to live in our hearts. But folks, we have to give him that. We have to allow him to do that. We have to accept him. That's what he wants. That's what he's asking for. That's what he's looking for. And so that is, that's the only thing we can give. Anything you can give, anything you can bring, it's his, God made it. But you know what? God, the one thing that we do have is that free will. And you do have a choice. And I'm not preaching about that, but I think this passage is a good uh, proof of that and a good reminder of that. And something that was even understood by the prophets in, or, or spoken of, at least, by the prophets in the Old Testament. God's not going to force our love upon him. God doesn't do that. But he has done everything a, a, you can imagine to cause us to love him. But you know what? It still doesn't force everyone to love him because a lot of people don't love him. So uh, that if you love him today, it is because you know you have free will. And, and if you love him today, it's not because you're just a great person, because in reality, you're nuts to not love God. Yeah, so Stephen, he's laid out all these facts and he is right here. He is about to complete that Stephen's saying, yeah, you appear righteous on the outside, but he said you're uncircumcised in heart. Jesus basically said the same thing. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourself that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? This is an example of Jesus not being very Christ-like in a sermon, as the trendies would like to tell you. But no, he was just laying it out and he tells them, you say you wouldn't have done those things. You wouldn't have been like your fathers. Man, you're the children of them. You're, do, you're doing the exact same thing. So wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify. Some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel under the blood of Zacharias, the son of Berechias, whom he slew between the temple and the altar. He said, I'm going to send you some. He's saying, even in the future, you're going to keep doing this. And what do we see them? We're, we're about to see them begin right here in the book of Acts doing exactly what Jesus told them they were going to do. It's like, I, I know what you all say about yourself, but I, not only do I know what you really are on the inside, I know what you're going to do. 
And you know what you're going to do? You're going to do the exact same things that your fathers did. And I'm going to send people to you to preach to you. And you're going to scourge them in your synagogues. They've already done that in the book of Acts. And you're going to kill them. And they're about to do that in the book of Acts. And he says, verily I say... Um, and so he said, because of that, you know, you're filling up my wrath and indignation. And this generation is going to pay. And he said, and so he said, verily, verily, or verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered their chicken under her wings, and you would not? Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So Jesus preached to them, just like Stephen preached to them, calling them out for their hypocrisies, letting them know they were just like, like their fathers. And you know what they were? They were breakers of the law. And that's what Stephen said in Acts 7.53. He says, Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And they didn't like hearing that. Because here he's on trial, supposedly for breaking the law, for blaspheming. And he gets up and tells them, I'm the one that's being obedient. You're the lawbreakers. You're the ones that are doing wrong. You are the ones who just like you're just like your fathers and just like your fathers rejected Moses in the wilderness. You know what you all are who rejected Moses before uh, he went to Midian. He said, you all rejected Christ. Your fathers rejected Christ in the wilderness. And you know what? Now, here's a big question. So when's Jesus coming back like Moses as the deliverer? And the truth is, folks. It already happened. And I'm going to show you that here in a little bit. So look, uh, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. And folks, if you want to know what this probably looked like, it probably looked a lot like some of these protests we're seeing by the people that are mad that they can't butcher and slaughter their babies whenever they feel like it, wherever they feel like it. We've seen, have, have you not seen some of the demonic reactions that we're seeing? Just people angry, flipping out, just spazzing out, just insane, demonic people. And folks, this kind of rage that we see here, I mean, they're gnashing on him with their teeth. I think it looked a lot like, and let me tell you something. These protesters that are out there, if they could get away with killing us, they would do it in a heartbeat. They would do it in a heartbeat. And if they ever get power, that's exactly to, you know, to do that. They will do it so fast and they will enjoy every minute of it. That's how, that's how sick and vile these people are. And we're seeing just full-blown demonic rage, which was the absolute polar opposite of what we see from Stephen. I mean, folks, he has laid out from the Bible where they're wrong. You know, he's told them the truth. You know, he's saying it with the face of an angel. There's clearly something special about this guy. There's clearly something going on. Something very similar to something that we've seen before in the Bible with Moses. We talked about last week. Remember how when Moses came and he presented them with the law, his face shone? But these people were just so wicked, they, they couldn't look at them. And that's what, what the problem was with these people. They were just so wicked, they could not handle that Holy Ghost preaching that was coming from Stephen. They, just, they couldn't even handle it, and they hated him. And it says in verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing 
on the right hand of God. And this is the only time we see him standing on the right hand of God. Usually we see him seated at the right hand of God. And a lot of people that, you know, they, they see that like this must be something significant. There must be something big happening here. And so it's, you know, it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of speculation out there. And that's, that's fine. Again, it's not wrong to speculate as long as your speculation doesn't violate something in the Bible. And there, there's a lot of good theories. And I don't, I, I don't claim to uh, know for sure and when it comes to this, but I'm going to give you my thoughts. But, I, again, I do believe whenever we're judging someone's opinion on this verse, that you should give credibility to the one whose doctrine matches up with the rest of the Bible. I think that's important, you know, because, and so, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I'd like to be able to prove from this. I'd like to be able to show, for example, too, you know, was this the end of Daniel's 70th week? Was this three and a half years after? I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, it makes sense if you think Daniel's 70th week's already done, you know, but at the same time, uh, there's nothing in the Bible to give any indication to a timeline or anything like that. So I don't think we ought to necessarily use that as proof it's a good theory you know assuming uh you know you're right on what you believe about daniel 70th week or whatever but it's not something we should probably make a huge deal about but let's keep reading and it's, uh, it says and said behold i see the heavens open and the son of man standing on the right hand of god then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast them out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Man, I don't think what we're seeing here is in any way a coincidence. First off, in this story where we're seeing the very first martyr after Christ, the first Christian killed for his faith, we also see a man introduced that is going to basically dominate the rest of the book of Acts. A guy who's going to do the greatest works for the cause of Christ ever and who is mainly going to do his great works among the Gentiles. And folks, there is no doubt that this was a key moment right here that signals a shift from Israel to the Gentiles. There is no doubt when this took place right here, there, there's not just a change, I think, from God and from the work of the Holy Spirit, but what we see going on with the church, where it's, it's like they're not even really trying to save the nation anymore. They're still trying to get people saved. And we do. We're, we're about to start seeing a transition. Where it goes into more of a mentality like we have today. Where none of us in here are really trying to rescue a nation. Okay. Uh, we, you know, we got some Fox News Baptists out there. They're still trying to save the nation. I, I hope they succeed. All right? I, I really do. And uh, you know. I'm not going to devote my life so much to that. I might, I might get involved every now and then. You know. But uh, feeling a little hopeful with Roe versus Wade going, Georgia Guidestones just got blown up. I mean, you know, we've got some things, some some good things are happening this year. <laughs> I, I I think the Lord's given us some blessings after all the horrible stuff we went through in the last couple of years with all the COVIDiots and all the nonsense that went on there. But uh, you know, we do see more a shift and more of a focus like we have today, where they're just trying to reach whoever they can. And, and again, important to understand, we're seeing transitions. So always watch out for people that want to just use what they were doing during a very specific time with a specific group 
and act like that's the model for what everybody has to do. You got got to watch out for that because things are changing. And so I don't think this is a coincidence uh, what we're seeing here. And it's, but it says in verse fifty nine, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, "Lord." Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This man who had the face of an angel who was so full of the Holy Ghost, who was showing his true colors as a son of God, not only did he preach like Jesus, he died a lot like Jesus, didn't he? Doesn't that sound a lot like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? I mean, folks, you know, we talk about being like Jesus all the time. And then we act like, ah, you can't really do it. This guy, he did pretty good. I mean, what a death that he died. I like how it says he just, he fell asleep. He went down preaching, went down praying. I mean, folks, you don't get a more glorious end than this right here. I mean, this, this is good stuff. But this is the first time we see blood being shed after Christ. And this was clearly something that did not please God in any way. And so let me just give you my theory for why he um, may have been standing. And I'm going to get back. I'm going to get to the Moses allegory here too, but turn over to Amos chapter nine. All right. Let me just show you something that we see in the Bible. That, again, this isn't proof. I'm just going to give you my theory. What I think was going on when Jesus was was standing, because some people believe that. Well, I've heard some people say I, they that Jesus was so pleased with what Stephen was doing that day that he was kind of standing out of respect for him. I mean, okay, you know, it could be. Uh, I don't know if we have any biblical precedent for, for that, but, you know, uh, Stephen definitely deserves some respect for what he was doing, but it's Jesus, you know, he's, you know, we're supposed to do things for him, but anyway, I, I'm not against you if, if people that have that theory, some people believe that I've thought, I think this is possible that this was the end of Daniel's 70th week and had Israel accepted you know, the, had they repented nationally, Jesus would have come back and set his kingdom up then. But because they didn't, he ended up basically putting them on the shelf, as, they, as the dispensationalists say, or as we would say, he finished <laughs> with them and then went to the Gentiles instead. Yeah, that, that's possible too. I mean, it makes sense uh, that, that he was about to return, you know, theoretically speaking, had they, you know, I, you know, repented, but I think it might have been something else. So look what it says in Amos 9.1. It says, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar. So here's an example of him standing upon an altar in heaven. And he said, smite the lintel of the door that the post may shake and cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, then shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, then shall I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent and he shall bite them. So that we do see an example in the Bible. There's a vision of him standing on an altar in heaven. He's mad. He's mad and saying, I'm going to kill him. They can go to the top of Mount Carmel. I'll get them there. They can go to the bottom of the sea. I'll have a serpent bite them. They can dig into hell. I'll get, I'll get them wherever they go. So when we see him there standing, he's mad. And I personally think when he was standing there, I think he was going to kill them. I think he was going to kill them just like he almost did 
when they rejected him the first time. Remember in Exodus 32 and verse 9 and the, with the golden calf, which is what Stephen referred to? He referred back to their rejection of Jesus in the wilderness with the golden calf. And he said, I have seen this people and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. That's what Stephen just called them. Now, therefore, let me alone. God's telling Moses, let me alone. That my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. So what did God do the, want to do the last time? He's like, get out of the way, Moses. They're dead. I'm going to get them. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountain and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. That's just a longer version of, Lord, lay not this into their charge. He's saying the same thing. I, I think Stephen understood what was going on. Stephen understood this is a repeat of what they did in the wilderness. And he saw Jesus standing. And I think he probably saw that he looked ticked and knew that they were going to come get him. And he stopped him like Moses and said, Lord, lay not this into their charge. And nothing happened. I think God was going to kill him. Now, and then remember what Moses said when... After he said this, he goes on and says, remember, he, remind, he reminds God of something. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, will I give to your seed that they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil, which he thought to do unto his people. So notice how Moses reminded them, remember your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because of that, God did not wipe them out. And turn over to Romans chapter 11 now. Because again, the dispensationalists, they'll say, I mean, folks, there's no arguing that the first rejection was in the wilderness. We got that from Stephen. Y'all understand that? So the first rejection was not, or the first coming of Christ uh, that is in uh, that's a picture of Moses his first appearance as a deliverer. It was in the wilderness, not in the first century. Okay, there's no doubt about that. That can't be argued. So the question is, well, what about this second time when he's coming as a deliverer? Well, that's is that going to be in the future, or did it already happen? Well, it already happened. Okay, it already happened. It says in Romans 11:26, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer that shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins as concerning the gospel. They are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the father's sake. Fathers, plural, meaning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so notice people are, the dispensation will say, no, this is in the future. No, the deliverer came to take away their sin on the cross. Peter already covered, covered this with Peter in Acts 3.26. Unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So understand, payment for sin was made. Iniquities were turned away at the cross, but again, every individual has to accept him. They have to accept that. But Jesus already came as a deliverer. 
That, so just like Moses came as a deliverer later, yes, Jesus was going to come again. The one that they rejected in the wilderness was going to come again as a deliverer, and that's exactly what he did when he died on the cross. So here's the big question then. So why didn't he wipe them out? Why didn't he wipe them out at the stoning of Stephen? Because of that promise to the fathers. And that's why there has always been and there always will be, folks, just the remnant. Okay? That's all there's ever going to be. We see in Romans chapter 11 and verse 4. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And so the reason, you know, God hadn't cast away his people, it was because of his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul was proof of that. Paul should have got wiped out in Acts chapter 7. But you know what? Because of his promise to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he didn't wipe them out. There was still a remnant. Paul got saved, didn't he? So folks, what people are trying to do with this in chapter 11, where they make this national salvation come again for Israel, it's not going to happen. The salvation is talking about has already taken place, and all there is is a remnant. There will always there will always be Jews, and for the most part, they will always be bad as a whole. And you know, and when Jesus comes back, you know, there's going to be, you know, it's going to be bad for them. Okay, we've got prophecies about that. The wrath has come upon them to the uttermost, to the end. But you know what? There will always be a remnant, and that's why they still exist today. Yes, he, he finished using them as a nation during this time. But you know what? He's still, even though he's not using them as a nation, he's still saving people from there because of the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I believe what we were just seeing here was history repeating itself. God was going to wipe them out, but Stephen stopped them. And so understand Unless you pull an allegory where Moses, you know, came a third time or something, you know, uh, then it's done. You know, a lot of the prophecies about the national revival of Israel, about big things happening with salvation in Israel, those things have already happened in the book of Acts. Because, folks, we've, we've been reading, a lot of people got saved in Israel. So far, all these thousands and thousands of people being saved, this is in Israel. Pentecost, 3,000. That was Israel. That was Jews. 5,000 later, that was Jews. Multitudes that it didn't even number, that was in Israel. That was with Jews. God has done these great things. And so even though we now have, are seeing a change where they're no longer seeming to try to do a national repentance with Israel because they're about to go into some major persecution, and I think they did. They started figuring out that, you know what? This isn't going to happen. And, and, and folks, they didn't figure that out at the stoning of Stephen. We can go back and we can look in the scriptures and say, yeah, this was a key moment right here. But even when we go into chapter 8, we're going to see they still don't know it yet. They're just kind of, uh, this is a very difficult time where they're kind of in turmoil. We've all go through those times in our life where we don't know what's going on, what's God doing. You know, you you don't know if you're in His will. You don't really know what's going on. We all go through times like that as individuals. And the church is going to kind of go through a time like that where there is some intense persecution and God in his time is going to reveal his plan to them. And eventually they do. They figure it out. Paul had it figured out by Romans when he wrote the book of Romans. There's no doubt. He had it figured out 
that, yeah, Israel's not coming back. Turns out they're the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. He's like, I don't like it, but you know what? I can't, what am I to say to the potter what he can do with his work and with his creation? And so, uh, you know, Paul, you know, he, he accepted that fact. But he also, in chapter 11, showed that even though God's not going to bring that nation back, he also understood that God will still save them. That they can still be saved. And so, you know what? We're going to give the gospel to Jews if they'll listen. Now, they typically act like they do in Acts chapter 7. But they don't. But not all of them do. Because one of those guys that was there, consenting to the death that we see in the first verse of the next chapter, became the greatest Christian probably that ever that there ever was. You know, if anybody beat him, maybe you could say Stephen. But, you know, Stephen had a really short ministry, so if we're going off length of time and people saved. But, you know, th- you know, there's no doubt, too, Stephen was instrumental in getting Paul saved. So, you know, none of us know how the scoring works and the rewards are going to work. You know, but, but, but either way you look at it, I think Stephen's going to have a good day on Judgment Day. I think, Saul, I think Paul's going to have a good day on Judgment Day. But I, I, think, I think Stephen's going to have a pretty good day, too. And it's going to be interesting to see how things turn out for those guys. Not that it's a contest or anything like that, but whatever motivates you, uh, you know, you know it, it's okay to think about that kind of thing. But anyway, I believe that's why Jesus was standing at the death of Stephen is because I think he was going to, I think he was going to kill him. And, and Stephen stopped him. And it was a r- reminder of that promise to the fathers and there will, there will always be a remnant. And so we will always, we will always preach to Jews but we're going to do it like Stephen. We're not going to do it like you know, these people who are afraid to use the name of Jesus. We're not going to do it that way. We're not going to do it by buttering them up, telling them how wonderful they are, and thanking them for giving us the Messiah and the Bible and all that foolishness that, that people are doing. You know, Trying to make them feel good by calling them Yeshua instead of Jesus and stuff like that. We're not, we're not doing any of that nonsense. You know what we're going to do? Most of the time we're going to take them off. But what if they kill us? Well, maybe I'll be there with Stephen, you know, comparing rewards, you know, in heaven. So uh, I'm okay with that. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help and encouragement to everyone. Lord, we do, we thank you so much for examples like Stephen in the Bible, Lord. It's a, it's a challenge, Lord, and it's also encouraging to just see uh, the boldness and the way you use them. Lord, it's encouraging too, just knowing what happened with Saul that we saw there. It's a reminder that you know you can save wicked people and do great things with them. And so I pray you'll help us to uh, draw inspiration from these things. And I pray you'll use to help us be better witnesses for you. In your name we pray. Amen.